Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high-performing software teams. All right, welcome to the show. I'm Marcus, and this is Programming Leadership. I am so excited to have Heidi Helfand joining me today. Heidi is the author of Dynamic Reteaming, and that's the topic. We're going to talk about how we use our teams differently and better, and frankly, as I'm a neophyte, I'm just so excited about this. Heidi, welcome to the show. Hi, Marcus. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you. Well, look, let's just dive in here. So the name alone is intriguing and the book can be found on LeanPub, Dynamic Reteaming. But okay, let's just step back. What is this thing called dynamic reteaming? Yeah. In essence, dynamic reteaming is team change. Teams change. It's a natural occurrence as opposed to staying the same forever. And yeah, so the book goes into details to really expand on this topic and explain what it is. So what are some of the kinds of change that a team might undergo over, you're right, that nothing stays forever, right? So let's say over a period of time, a year, or I'm imagining it can be measured in years. What kind of change are we talking about? Yeah, so I have been a part of different startups that have grown larger. And so a lot of my experience, I'm at the third company now. Uh, I've been at three very successful companies from an early employee to hundreds, thousands of people. And what I've noticed is that, uh, you know, a lot of the literature that I would read in my roles, I I started out in UX, got into project management, got into coaching throughout the years. And one of the things that I noticed is the best practice for effective teams, I would read about it and it would say, keep your teams the same or stable. And then looking back on my experience, I thought, well, my experience has been different. There have been a lot of changing teams. And so I became curious about that, wrote the book, Dynamic Reteaming, and did research along the way, not only from personal experience, but from interviewing colleagues around the world. And I found that team change happens really in five ways, like there are five patterns to team change. And I think these are basic structural patterns. And so the book goes into detail about these as well as like, well, why does this happen? Why do team change, teams change? But um, it could be as little as you have a team and someone new joins or you have a team and somebody leaves. I call that the one by one pattern. Another pattern is what I call the isolation pattern. Maybe there's an emergency in the company. Maybe there's a the, the code isn't performing as we expected. There's some kind of crisis. Or maybe we have to move really, really fast and build something and get it out there and ship it to, you know, maybe we have like a competitive pressure or something. And so what you can do is you can form a team, put it off to the side and let them run fast and give them process freedom. I call that the isolation pattern. That's the second pattern. Another pattern, which is very common in companies that scale or grow bigger, is what I call grow and split. You have a team, more people are hired in, that team gets kind of big and it splits in half, and then you have two teams. 
It can happen at larger levels like divisions or orgs. Like you could have a a whole R&D organization split in half. I've seen that. Then there's the opposite of grow and split, which is the merging pattern. So you have two teams and they come together for a variety of reasons and they're now they're together as one team. And so that's the fourth pattern. And then the last pattern is what I call switching. And this is an exciting one because we as humans sometimes need a change. Maybe we want to work with different people. Maybe we want to learn something different and we want a different opportunity. So maybe we switch to another team. And so what I've found is that so dynamic reteaming comes in these five structural patterns, one by one, isolation, grow and split, merging and switching. And in essence, when you're at a company and you have a lot of dynamic reteaming, it means that a lot of this is going on at once. You know, I, you know, look back at my experience here, two years, Procore Technologies, all of these patterns have taken place in some way, shape or form. And so, and they happen at different levels. So we work in this kind of ever evolving complex system. So there could be changes that are feel very small or one person in one person out of a team, for example, or even like a switching pattern is kind of a more, a smaller reteaming. Um, but you know, then you, you have the teams that grow big and split. So you can have all of this stuff going on and it, the system, the, the whole kind of company can feel it's like very dynamic. And so these are reteaming patterns and they're dynamic and they're all kind of happening at once all over the place. And so it, depending on your company, maybe you have more change, maybe you have less change. Sometimes you don't want it to happen at all. And then it does, it's imposed from the top for a variety of reasons. It's probably not going to be a great reorg, a great reorg, or, you know, you acquire a company. It's not necessarily going to be, um, you know, the decision of the people, whether this happens and it's, it's just not appropriate. So sometimes the changes happen and then we, we deal with them. Other times we catalyze the changes. Maybe an individual needs something new. So you coach the individual or maybe the squad, the team, they're get, they feel like they grew kind of big, like, well, how could we be more effective? You know, I've seen, seen things like that. So, so the book talks about all these uh, different things and, um, that's really interesting. I, I, okay. I want to, can I interrupt Definitely. you here for a minute? Because and please my, cut my me head off, is spinning. I, once I get going <laughs> with this stuff, it's kind of like one thing leads to another. I want to take just a moment and thank my sponsor, Get Prime. Get Prime is sponsor the show, not just because they're fantastic people, but because they really believe that leadership and engineering is about people. It's about conversations. And Get Prime is a platform that allows you to have better conversations with people. Yes, it has lots of other benefits. You can probably plan better. You can see metrics about individual performance. But let's just take that one idea about individual performance. Whenever I talk with a Get Prime user, and by the way, lots of my clients are Get Prime users, they always tell me how surprised they were at what was really happening on the team. See, it's really easy for you as a manager to observe generally how people are working. You can look at PRs, you can look at who's assigned what tickets. You as the CLM, the software engineering manager, you get a notion for what people are doing. 
But there's always these beautiful surprises about who is really performing well and who's secretly struggling. About who's the person that's saving everybody's bacon through fixing a lot of stuff behind the scenes and who is absolutely doing all the PRs. This kind of data lets you move from looking at people as just, well, they're all engineers and they're all kind of doing engineering work to seeing exactly where each one of them is strong and has opportunities to grow. And that's why I love this tool so much. I believe that new and surprising conversations come out of data, that when you can sit down with somebody and start to understand and intuit why things are happening, you're going to create even better quality of exchanges. And by the way, you know here on this show, we talk about the fact that leadership is what keeps people connected to their work and prevents turnover and keeps them motivated. It's about the relationship. I like to say that Get Prime not only lets you build better software, it lets you build a better relationship with your team members. Start a free trial today at GetPrime.com. No, my head is just spinning with questions. So from one perspective, I see that there's kind of a systems thinking perspective. Like uh, this almost sounds biological. You know, you think about your skin cells flake off and they regenerate. Like that's maybe a one by one. And then maybe you mm. think about, uh, you, you talked about how the, you know, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, um, cells uh, grow and then they divide, right? And it's like, there's your division. And sometimes they come together. And um, I don't know, like, to be honest, my sister has uh, cancer. And so we think a lot about, mm -hmm. about that kind of cellular system where part of it runs off on its own and grows in a really different way from kind of like, there's no, there's complete process freedom here because there's uh, independence, mm -hmm. isolation. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know, those things were just running through my head is like, those are feel like patterns maybe we see in other parts of the world or of our lives as well. But I want to hit on something and ask you a question about something you ended with. Because I could imagine that a lot of people listening to this might say, yeah, how do I prevent those things? Because the mindset that what we want is stable teams. Now you started with that. And then of course, for you, that became a fundamental mindset that you changed. You said, is that true? And you found out it wasn't true. So I'm curious, like, is that a problem or a mindset that many people have is that what we want to do is create stability and have the impression that nothing should ever change? That's a good question. I think, um, you know, it's been like part of the narrative, like effectiveness is tied with that. And I remember looking at that and thinking, gosh, you know, the first company I was at, I was on the original team we invented, go to meeting and go to webinar. And then we were acquired by Citrix and for a great amount of money. And then the legacy of that company was acquired a couple, was it a couple years ago now by Log Me In. And like the, we created a lot of value there and we grew and we changed. We weren't doing it wrong, right? We weren't like stable and staying the same and not growing and changing. Like, and, and then I looked at the second startup, Appfolio, uh, which is a software company, another software as a service company, creating software for property management companies and for, for law firms to be more effective workflow software. I was the 10th employee at that company. I left when there were about 650 people and we grew and we changed a lot and we had a lot, a lot of dynamic reteaming happening. And I was, and then we went public in June, 2015, the stock is traded on the NASDAQ. It's a very successful company. That company didn't have fully stable teams either. And so when I would read some of this literature, like by Hackman or some, 
He wrote a book, mm-hmm. Leading Teams. And, you know, I appreciate yeah. the research and I, and I respect a lot of the research, but I looked at that and I was like, wait, if I remember at one point, uh, another agile coach and I, Paul Tevis, we, we were like almost trying to like fight some of the changes that were happening. And it was really kind of counterproductive to the goals of the company. We would read that the most effective teams would stay the same, but, but trying to like really keep that as a constant was almost like counterproductive. And it was kind of like, it, it was more effective to kind of go with the change and try to be more effective with that change. And so that's where like the shift is. So it's kind of like, if people want to keep their team the same and they're doing well and they're shipping value and the customers are delighted and, and it's an enjoyable experience and, 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 you know, people are safe to express their opinions, like keep that team the same. Like it's fine to want to keep things the same, but it can be really counterproductive if your company goals are to grow and expand rapidly, globally, multiple markets, 20 people hired next mm. week, like to try to like be counter to that is, is not where I would focus. I would focus rather on, okay, if you have these teams that are merging together and then they're reteaming on the priority of work, how do we work? How do we make that more effective when the teams are changing to kind of reform based on priority? Well, I would try to gel the whole team. So if we have teams that are merging, get that community to know each other, care about each other, then the work later is easier. Come with some team norms that we can replicate across these different teams so that when we change, there's still some constants. There's a, I, I think we pronounce her name Ruth Wegeman um, or Wageman Wegeman. She writes about, uh, she's at Harvard. She writes about having role clarity. Like if you keep the notion of the role constant, then when teams change, there's that kind of scaffold in there that it makes it easier for the people. So I think it's kind of like, let's acknowledge that, if we're in an environment that has changing teams, we can do things to amplify and get better at that as opposed to mm. focusing over here, trying to keep it all the same. It's like, yeah, it's like kind of not where I would focus. So I had that insight and kind of dug into that with this book. Well, how do we make it easier? Uh, things are going to yeah. change. and I think that that fundamental idea of things are going to change, uh, I I mean, I'll use another metaphor now. It reminds me of when we were raising mm. our kids. And because when you look at your kids at any point in time, especially when they're like grade school or something, you think, oh, this is exactly where we're at. And it's probably going to be like this forever. And I really wouldn't want it to change too much. And you, you, so as they grow up and things, the system of a family starts to necessitate some change, sometimes it's very mm. hard. Mm-hmm. And some people in the family want things to stay the same, like mom and dad. And some people in the family want things to change, like an 18-year-old son who is just itching to get out of the house and right. onto his own. There's that kind of tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it seems like Very if, uh, but but I guess at, looking back on it, I can recognize that I wish I would have re- sort of seen the circle mm-hmm. of life. And I think imagining like, man, things are going to be changing. And instead of pretending that they're not, Maybe this, you, you mentioned you've been at Procore a couple of years and you've seen all these mm-hmm. patterns. I could imagine that instead of pretending they're not, which is a common thing, or wishing they weren't, I feel like you've got these really great ideas for how to how to make this change less mm-hmm. painful and how to, I don't want to say create change for change's sake, but how to just be sort of real, get real with the changes that are occurring. You know, yeah. I was curious, does it feel, oh, go ahead. What, what are your thoughts um, on that? Well, 
I don't know if you noticed in the book, well, I use a metaphor. We, you were talking about biology earlier. Um, I use a metaphor of like an eco-cycle. I'm just kind of holding up the photo of an eco-cycle. I have seen that. By the way, since you're, if you're listening to this at home, <laughs> we're sharing video and we're both very animated. And so we'll put a link to that picture. Uh, maybe she'll allow us to scan it in and put a picture on the, uh, yeah, with the show actually, notes. But, yeah, actually, um, your, your listeners can have access to a chapter from my book. And I believe this picture is in there. It's a photo of an eco-cycle. Thank yeah, you. that's at my website, HeidiHealthFan.com as well. Um, but like a metaphor, I think, for team change is really like an eco-cycle. Like just if you, you were just talking about like uh, growing up in a family, so you have like birth adolescence, maturity, and then, you know, we, you know, we have death, right? (laughs) Um, Birth, adolescence, maturity, death, like in this eco cycle, which I learned from friends in a community called Liberating Structures who learned it. You love love Liberating Structures. Yeah. Keith McCandless and uh, yeah, Fisher Quad, the wonderful community, Henry Lifmanowicz, they wrote a book called Liberating Structures. They apply this eco-cycle concept from these researchers that wrote a book called Panarchy, Gunderson and Holling. Anyway, uh, an eco-cycle is a really great way, I think, to look at teams because I think in the beginning of this podcast, I was like, you teams age and change. You know, so you'll have the birth phase of a team. Maybe they'll get into adolescence and then who knows, they'll go through and they'll have a disruption. You know, almost like the death of a team, like teams disband, teams dissolve, or sometimes they change, they get disrupted. Suddenly they have three new team members that join it's, And then you have to kind of like, like, you know, kind of integrate them in the team. So I, I found that team change is a natural occurrence. Sometimes, again, sometimes we want it to happen. Sometimes we don't, there is a tension. Some people might prefer more change. Some people might not. You were talking about like, you know, raising, you know, kids, maybe the, the, the adolescent, the teenager wants more change than is present right now. I, I have a teenager. That's a great, <laughs> uh, so that maybe, maybe yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So I, I think it's a useful, you know, it's a useful kind of lens or metaphor. You know, we have, uh, you know, looking at kind of forest ecology, when you have a, you know, a, a forest that grows really, really dense. Sometimes it gets disrupted with a wildfire. New seeds are emitted, and then there's sort of a renewal. Um, so I think teams right. can get kind of renewed as well when they change. I mean, people can for sure. If you're stuck on one team and you're there for two oh. years, you might really, really want to change. And then once you get it, you might feel a sense of wow, I'm I'm reinvigorated. And it could be because of the content. It could be because of the people. Um, it, it reminds me, there were a lot of times when I would have teams as a manager and we would hire a new person and this is kind of your one by one pattern. So we add someone, but I, as the manager neglect to understand the real impact of that. I think, well, the team hasn't changed. It's still called the web team. What's really changed. It went from five people to six people. But in some ways that was a really sort of small minded or immature view of what was happening because the chain that that was a form of dynamic reteaming. And yet I didn't, I didn't really acknowledge it and I didn't have a way to understand it. So I pretended it quote, wasn't a big deal. My team members didn't always feel the same. Do you have suggestions for how we can introduce like a one by one change in a way that is less chaotic or maybe feels more safe? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, 
you know, it's almost like a reteaming at the edges. It's like a smaller kind of reteaming that's less in your face than if like a team totally busts up and the people are reallocated elsewhere, which is a lot more kind of severe. I think, um, you know, it, it starts, you know, way back to like seeing a need for hiring. Maybe the team feels like they want to have more people join, or maybe it's someone else's idea. Um, the team needs to know about the hiring and have kind of participation and a stake in it, I feel, makes it easier. Maybe they participate in the interviews. They have a stake into who they're bringing in their team. That, you know, is, a, I think, a really a, a good kind of lead. And if you think the, the, um, the experience of being uh, an employer, let's just talk about software engineer. If I'm like interviewing for a job and then I get hired in by people that I get to work with, they're, they're hiring me into their team. Now my experience starts right when I apply. Right. And then, you know, maybe it ends, it ends eventually when I leave, but there's like a user experience there kind of like we do for our customers, but let's look at the engineer experience. And so I've seen for years, people have mentoring systems where with pair programming, you help to bring an engineer up to speed and help them get set with their dev environment, uh, learn kind of the customs and the norms of the of the place. And maybe if you hire, you have like a few people at once, you you get them together to do some of the shared tasks and then get them off with their mentor. Shared task meaning if you have three people starting one day, they could probably get their dev environment set up together um, with a helpful person um, as opposed to duplicating that effort. That's kind of one of the things that we learned at the second startup that I was at. One-on-one mentoring, we we use that pattern for many years um, at the second startup I I was at and then kind of had more formal onboarding. You know, Procore, we hire a lot of people at once. We've had very large hiring classes lately and we have a very sophisticated onboarding program they announce all the hires on LinkedIn and show photos of the classes of people coming in. And we meet with them uh, during our lunch. You know, we have a company lunch every Wednesday and we, people get integrated into the teams. And we have onboarding that's within our engineering group, product management, you know, whatever group that they're, we have another onboarding program. So, you know, it, it's almost like it's very predictable how we do it at Procore. We've gotten better and better at it. It's very collaborative. I think the other thing with uh, onboarding new team members, I was with a team the other day, and some might think, well, to be a mentor of a new hire starting, maybe I need to be at the company for a long time. And I remember even at the second startup I was at, we found that someone that has joined and has been here a couple of months can make an excellent mentor to someone else because they're closer to the, that experience of being a new person. They might have a different sort of empathy. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, right. sometimes I think people might want to limit like a mentor has to be at the company for a certain amount of time, but I would kind of challenge that. And, you know, people, it's a great, um, path to becoming maybe even a manager if, if you become a mentor. And so you can kind of gain skills to support people. There's that. If, if you have a team that is, is set and you add one new person in, it's almost like the, the entrance of that one new person might not drastically change the processes in place. You do have a new team system, though, because that new person brings new ideas, their background, their personality. 
And depending on how maybe introverted or extroverted that person is, it could feel like a really big change if they're kind of a larger than life person, like Mm -hmm. uh, very vocal, or it could feel like more of a quiet change kind of coming in. And so, you know, with the one by one patterns, kind of like, it's more about like bringing a person on board. I guess they call it like onboarding. You're bringing them on the boat, right? And the boat isn't really changing that much. Um, But sometimes when it's more than one, it might get the whole team to like talk about, well, how do we want to be together as a team and what does success look like? It's a good, it's really a good opportunity to reset your team. Even if that, even if you feel like it's a small change, so it's a good point in time to get the whole team together, at least for two hours and talk about what does it mean to be a successful team? Who are we as people? I'm doing, I'm working with a engineering manager tomorrow who's doing a, market of skills activity, which people get together. The idea, again, these are two teams that are merging together, two or three teams in this case, it's merging pattern. We, we have a new community of people coming together. Well, who are we? If you can gel the whole, you know, forming, storming, norming, performing, Tuckman model, right? If, if you buy into that and it's a, it's a catchy model, right? Maybe, Maybe if you have a community of people that's going to reteam according to different initiatives and you know that's going to happen, just try to get that whole community of people to know each other and then later the switching is easier. So we're doing a market of skills where people come together, they each make a poster and they share, these are my hobbies, these are the skills I bring to the team, this is what I want to learn in the next few months, and this is what I offer to teach you. And so it's a very quick way of... That's sharing awesome. kind of the basics about ourselves. It breaks the ice. It helps people find common ground. And then I find doing things like that, like, again, depends on what the team wants to invest. I don't hold teams hostage in any, uh, you know, stay with me for two days and we'll gel your team. Like that's not, it's expensive. It's not realistic. We'll spend a couple of hours, maybe do an activity that resonates with the team. I always kind of test it out. Like, which, hey, do you want to do something like this? And yes or no. And oh, well, what about this? Like, we find something, get together for two hours, foster the relationship building, and then it really goes a long way. So that's some of the real, that's some of the real stuff that I do here. I love it. I'm imagining one of the teams that um, I'm sort of just remembering back to a time when I brought someone into the team and I didn't recognize that there was a team change. Uh, because it just seemed like adding one person. And my assumption was that the one would conform to how things were. Well, we we were already a team. We were doing things. And I think there's a sense of that. The one is doing the conforming to us. But what I didn't really ever ask was, what does it mean for us as a team now that we have a new member? And I think that that same thing happened when one left. I thought, well, we're down one, but it's not that big a deal. We'll just keep doing things. But had I gotten the team together and said, what does it mean for us and how do we want to work together now that we're smaller, now that we lack that person's perspective, now that we don't have their skills, I think the team may have said, well, these, you may not be aware, but these four things that we do, that person was really internally leading the charge on. And maybe we either need to alter how they're doing them or someone else needs to decide to step up or we need to ask if it's still important. But I never did that. And so I made the assumption 
that things were just going to stay the same. Well, actually, and, and what you're mistake. talking about is super important. So that's the other part of the one-by-one one pattern, people leave. And talking about that and acknowledging it is critical. I was with a, a team, I don't know, four, four or five months ago, and um, it was a team that uh, that had split in half, and the product manager had left to go to another opportunity, and there was a new product manager coming in. And so I was there to help kind of reset the team in that situation. And we talked about, I learned this from Organizational Relationship Systems Coaching, which is ORSC. The company is called CRR Global. Yeah, CRR Global. Yeah, I can CRRglobal.com. <laughs> so I'm trained in coaching teams as systems through ORSC. They have uh, wonderful coursework in uh, coaching. Anyway, one of the things that you do is like you acknowledge the change, right? That person left. This product manager, very um, uh, unique character, very inspiring. He he would do things that were out of the job description, like many of us do. Ors calls those inner roles. So our outer role is like our job description, like I am a software engineer, I do these things. An inner role is something that you do kind of beyond your job. So this product manager, one of the things that he would do, and I learned this when we were doing the reset and talking about his departure, one of the, one of the things that he would do is when they accomplish a goal, he'd take them over to the cliffs where Procore is located right next to the Pacific Ocean in Carpinteria, California. And we have this, we're on an oceanside cliff. It's very picturesque. He'd take them to the cliff and they'd scream off the side of the cliff. And they do that to mark different milestones. And so it's kind of like, okay, they, you have traditions that start in teams. So what do you want to continue on and who's going to own it? So we came up with a list of things that this uh, product manager did that we wanted to have live on and then people own them going forward. And if we didn't have that conversation, maybe these things kind of like a you throw a ball and it bounces away. Maybe these things would have just left. But they decided that like, you know, we're going to keep doing these things and, and, and these are not things again in a job description. And I, when, when I was at the first startup and one of, and our founder, one of our founders left, it was a very, very difficult situation. I remember giving a talk about this and almost kind of brought tears to my eyes because it was just like, God, he, he left and it was so hard and people tried the best that they could to kind of understand all the things that he did beyond the role of, he was our uh, CTO. This was at the company where we invented GoToMeeting. And he did so many, he had so many inner roles and so many things that he did that we couldn't even really write down that, you know, just make, made it harder. But, but yeah, I think acknowledging the change is really important. Talking about it with the team, um, especially if, if you're in a situation where someone gets dismissed for whatever reason, you need to talk about this hard yeah. stuff. When I was a consultant, I was with a company and they, there were a lot of people that got laid off. It was, you know, it, it was at a different company. I was consulting uh, up in the Bay Area and, you know, having a sprint as usual and having your regular sprint ceremonies and not really acknowledging this big change around you uh, feels really awkward, you know, but it takes courage to sometimes have conversations about people leaving, especially when it's a lot. So this, this stuff isn't easy, but I think it's, uh, as humans, we need to process stuff. We need to talk about it. And then we need to like say, okay, now we're moving forward. How, what do we want that to be like? 
And if we don't talk about stuff, I think it can fester and, um, and, and lead to things that aren't so desirable. So I'm a big advocate of, ta- of, of talking about the challenging stuff. Good, good. You know, uh, two things come to mind. Um, my friend Jerry Weinberg once told me, um, just don't pretend that it didn't happen. And I have that written here on a little card and I've, I've remembered that for a long time. And because I have a tendency to want to, especially when it's hard stuff, pretend it didn't happen. And the word pretend stands out for me because it sounds so darn silly and fictitious when I say it. But somebody leaves, and I can't tell you how many times the way that the team found out was an email. Oh, an email got sent out. Bob's no longer with us. And that was the way I thought grown-up companies did things because our legal department had said, don't say anything, just tell them they're left, that, 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 that Bob is gone, and you can't talk about anything else. Well, of course, maybe it would be disrespectful to talk about the details, but it would be in, it was entirely silly to imagine that it hadn't happened or to just continue pretending it hadn't happened or, or that, that Bob was just a cog. Yeah, I think it can be awkward to have the conversations. I think it's like really important, even if like, like you're saying the case of you find out later through an email or this person left, it, it's almost like you don't have closure. You know, we contact people on LinkedIn. We can try to like follow up. Hey, I loved working with you. I'm set. Sorry that you left. Like I always try to like right. personally um, talk with people if I'm ever in that situation. But even like getting the team together and talk about, okay, we all know that Bob left. We got the email. We don't have the complete information. Let's just talk about that. Um, and we can kind of then move on. What does it mean? Like, and what does that mean? Especially also. And, you know, you can tell me if you've experienced this too, like a lot of the times as companies are growing and changing in all sorts of ways, we we're dealing with partial information. Like we might not ever get uh, the satisfy the curiosity of why these things happened. And I think it it just helps to like acknowledge it. And then you're kind of like, okay, now what let's reset, let's move forward. Let's look forward Maybe Bob did uh, this one role and we're going to have to work a little differently until they hire somebody in to replace Bob. And I think- Or maybe uh, Bob did an inner role mm. and you can never hire someone to do that. So the team has to then make a decision. Uh, Do we like screaming off the cliff? Mm -hmm. We now know how to do it. Do we continue? What does it mean if we do? What does it mean if we don't? Maybe we never really liked it anyway. Yeah. So let's do something different. And so that's like the other side of one by one, right? Sometimes we're glad they're gone. Like depending (laughs) on the person and the situation, maybe they were disruptive. Maybe uh, we had worse problems (laughs) when they were there. So sometimes- We're glad they're gone. And it's a very real thing. People don't talk about this very much. Sometimes when I'm giving a talk, I have a picture of a ghost, right? So I like a ghost role. Sometimes they linger on like a ghost. Like it takes a while to sort of shake them off. You know, it's another Orsk concept, uh, like, like a ghost role. Sometimes they do linger on. And then after a while, the, it fades out and you're on to like a new normal. So how long is your memory of the person? How long were they disruptive? We all, we all, hopefully we all don't. I have memories of, you know, sometimes we're working and we perceive the other person as very challenging. Sometimes the punchline is that, no, you're the difficult one, not that person, but <laughs> feels like they are. <laughs> you know, everyone brings joy, some when they come and some when they leave. There you go. 
There you go. Um, so it's reality. To, that's reality. So I want to ask about these, um, the, the inner roles, because you mentioned market of skills. I thought that was a really beautiful, really cool way for teams to get to know each other. Do you, but do you advocate for teams to sort of create an inventory of inner roles or to talk about those things in a more open way? Because um, maybe maybe there's things the team really depends on and the team norms and cultures have like are undergirded by screaming off the cliff or something. Uh, is it just, is something that we talk about or, or are inner roles just something that we, we just know are there and maybe we shouldn't openly discuss? I think it, it really depends on the situation. Like I, I view, uh, like how do I provide value as a person coaching teams? Like I have an inventory of, of like all these different activities that I can do. And I come across a situation and then I might make an offer to a team. Hey, maybe we should do an activity around inner roles because of this. What do you think? And then they'll be like, yes or no. So that's kind of like how I operate. I don't have like a set thing that I do with every exact team because I think teams have different needs and you want to do things that are appropriate. So it's not like poorly done foreign aid. So you want to make offers and see if they resonate to kind of get teams from here to there. So because people should elect to do things. Yeah, not, I, you know, we're not going to infantilize. I them. really just like a lot of the work that I do. I function at Procore like an internal agile consultant and slash coach. So I'm pulled in. I, I work on more of a pull system, and then I kind of make offers, see if they resonate, and then I kind of deploy the service. I don't know if that answers your question or if I meandered away. No, I, th I think it does. I do, um, sometimes I do an inner roles thing. If, it, if it's usually, if it's somebody left and what do we want to carry on, but you could do it when you, when you have a team that's starting up again, or you could do it yeah. with, you know, yeah. Like I'm imagining even teams that have now worked together for a year, they have a culture, some norms, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they all understand what contributes to those things. Even though they probably, there's a lot of unspoken bits of support and uh, relationship and things like that that happen. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I'm just sort of latched onto that idea. I'll do a little bit more, a little bit more. You reading. know, I will say that I did work with a coach who he would have the teams invent inner roles that they wanted to occupy going forward as their team. Like, somebody's going to bring the bagels on Tuesday or someone will get the donuts or somebody will get us all together for stand up. Maybe it's not in their job description, but it's something that they wanted. So you can invent I think them. I've heard of teams. Yeah. I think I've heard of teams that do something where it's like, what's your super secret identity? Mm -hmm. Like we're superheroes. And so yes, the job description on the outside, I'm a rails engineer, but inside I'm the team cheerleader mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm going to be the one who's always, you know, uh, trying to give everybody high fives and be the encourager. Yeah, so it could be a, it could be a very creative activity to do with the team. But at the end of the day, what you keep bringing me back to that I really appreciate is that if we invite people to things versus forcing them on things, generally the invitation may or may not be accepted, but someone who comes from an in, with an invitation is there willingly versus someone who says, oh, I had to sit through this silly thing. No one wanted to be there. Asking the team, do you want to do this, feels like a really important first step that I think lots of management 
managers and management structures tend to skip over? Yeah, that's a big part of my philosophy just as a, a consultant and coach. I call it like throwing spaghetti on the wall. And that's basically how I get work internally. Like I make offers, I network, I get to know people, I understand what they're going through. I ask about their teams, I get curious. I was like, hey, you know, what do you think if I came in and we spent an hour and we did this? And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it's like that sometimes the spaghetti sticks on the wall and sometimes it falls off. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's just what intuitively uh, makes sense to me. And I also have a bias, kind of more of a bottoms up power to the people bias that uh, I have a hard time forcing people <laughs> to do things, Amen. you know, and it, it's hard when you're a manager. Uh, I'm not a manager right now, but I have been one in the past and you know, people feel like they're voluntold by a manager when a manager's like, what do you think if we did something like this? And no, you really, I want you to say yes or no, but then people might just do it because you have that rank. Um, so I find that, that, yeah, I think I have greater success when I make offers, people take them or reject them. And, and yeah, and it's hard for me when there's top down force changes that people don't want. It's, I have a lot of empathy for that because I just want people to be excited and fulfilled in their work. And sometimes though, I'll I'll have to say, even though I I don't like saying it, sometimes people are forced to go through a change and then later they like it. Sometimes we don't know. Um, But other times we really want that agency. So especially with reteaming it, people can have different experiences with it. Sometimes you're subject to a top-down change and suddenly you're over here and it's like really bad for you. Sometimes it can work out, but I really think it's better to include the people in it. And it's why in the back of my book, I have a couple activities with like, how do you include people when you're doing larger scale reorgs? We did, we did something here, I don't know, more than a year ago where there was a reorg with about 80 people in the engineering leadership visualize their reorgs on, on whiteboards and offered people the opportunity to switch teams if they wanted to. They visualized the hiring and it was like in, more of an open, inclusive uh, type of reteaming. There's, there's, mm. other, uh, there's a great book called Creating Great Teams by Sandy Mamoli and David Mole where they talk about having like a marketplace for self-selected teams. So, so there's like degrees of freedom and reteaming and in it, it just kind of depends where you're at and what you're up for. I really also like I'm writing down all these. I, yeah. I could give you this list of books too. Well, they're in, they're also in my book in the, in the back, but I just love it when a team reflects on their own structure and determines a way that they want to shift their team composition in the pursuit of excellence or in the pursuit of being more effective. So when it's initiated by the team, they own the team change. And I just think that's one of the coolest things ever because it's. I think it's forgotten from Agile. They, You can change your, like the it, team change has always been such a constant in the Agile world that when you open it up as a lever for teams, it could just be super powerful. I love that. It, uh, what you're talking about also reminds me of, you know, everybody has these different experiences. The Satira change model talks about how we resist change and we get thrown into chaos. And I, I was talking to somebody the other day who said 
you know, this is the nth reorg in five years, and we've been in nothing but chaos. Uh, every new, you know, CIO comes in and and um, institutes the the new way, and of course, the the people at the bottom are just like we've stopped caring. It hurts so bad. We're just numb, and the reality is is that we've had nothing but change for five years. So I'm not going to get really attached to anything. And at that point, I almost get kind of a PTSD smell of trauma. Like they, you just cannot convince this person. And I feel bad for the new CIO who's come in or something. And like, they have all the best intentions, but the reality is, is that this team has been so hurt by the constant rate of change and the way change has been forced on them that I doubt that that CIO will be very effective. And it's not their fault, but because they don't recognize it, they don't step back and say, you know, let's just stop all the change. At least let's not make any structural changes and let's figure out where we're at because everyone's disoriented. Sounds like a lot of reteaming by abstraction. The people making the decisions are way up here. The people feel like they don't have any agency and it's like a lot of thrash. It's happening over and over and over. And yeah, I mean, that's a recipe for disengagement there, right there. I think people need to feel like they have ownership, that they have, like they can contribute to the development of the organization. And I, uh, you know, feel very strongly that we can have collaborative organizational development and recognizing Mm -hmm. that can really be a superpower for your company if you include the people. And I love that you said, why not give the team the change lever? And be asking them, what do we need? Who would you, maybe it's uncomfortable to say, what would we subtract? But the reality is, is that what we thought we needed when we started may not be all that we need, or it might be too much that mm-hmm. we that we have. Um, you know, when I usually go on a long car ride, I pack as best I can, but invariably, some of the stuff I brought, I won't mm-hmm. end up using. And um, maybe I'll throw it away, or maybe I'll just keep it in the trunk, but... I think that ability to change is what brings excellence in buying. Yeah. And, you know, in the book, there's a story by Christian Linwall, uh, who's with Spotify in, in New York. And he talks about giving the people the ability to choose teams. It's where, it's where my company learned how to reorg with whiteboards when we did it that time. He did it at Spotify with an infrastructure uh, tribe he was working with. And he, he said you know, why not give the problem to the people? We've solved more difficult problems as engineers before. And it, I always remembered that because it's like, how respectful is that? Like we can have some opinions about how to change our org and, you know, it impacts our code. Like if you believe in, in Conway's law that the organization of the people and the communication between the people is mirrored in the code. Well, why not give the, the, the artisans, the, the crafters, the people that are making this incredible software for our customers, why don't you give them participation in how we're going to grow and change? I I feel really strongly that, that, um, to include the, include the engineers and, and then as people become I love that. people become engineering managers or architects or whatever, they become the people that are gonna make team change decisions. It's like, well, don't forget, you know, don't forget you're including the people. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for being on the show. I just I've just this last phrase you said is gonna ring through my head. Why not give the problem to the people? 
We've solved harder problems yeah. than that. Heidi, where can people find you in the book? Yeah, online? so the book is sh- going to be on Amazon.com uh, uh, in August. And it's also on LeanPub. You can find me at HeidiHealthan.com. My Twitter is at HeidiHealthan. You can email me, Heidi.HealthAnd at gmail.com. Wonderful. We'll include all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Humble Pod Production. Stay humble.